This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Uh, We've been in a series called Living with the End in Mind and how life without God is utterly meaningless. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. If you are pursuing uh, anything in life without the purpose of God at the center, uh, you will find it's a chasing after the wind, putting a lot of energy into something, you get to the end, and it's not what you expected it to be or not what you thought it would be. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 4, and uh, today we're talking about striving for success. And in here, we have people who have been very successful in everything they've ever done, right? We have people, whatever investment they've made, it's been successful, whatever, whatever business they started, been successful, whatever job they've taken, they've gone to the top of that job quickly and they've stayed there for a while, they've been successful at work. We also have young people, do we have anybody home for, for college, from college for Thanksgiving? All right, so we got young people, they're getting educated, they're getting experience, they're going to go out to hopefully be successful in whatever field that they have chosen. And what do you do when you find success? And how do you manage it? How do you handle it? And today, I've had a ball going through Ecclesiastes 4 this week because uh, Solomon's going to give us these guardrails for those who are striving for success. And please hear me, absolutely nothing wrong with striving to be successful. But that can't be your only pursuit or the only thing you're striving for. So as we talk about living with the end in mind, we're talking about succeeding with the end in mind, leading with the end in mind, and succeeding ultimately whatever the pursuit is that you know what to do once you've been handed some level of success. And so uh, as we do this, I was thinking about this week as I drove up 65, there was an accident, person was okay. But I, I, their car hit the guardrail, and you could tell it went along it for a little while and then went over uh, the guardrail, but was hanging on to the guardrail. And I'm like, that guardrail just saved that person's life, right? Because it was on a pretty big hill. And I, I thought that's exactly what Solomon gives us today. We're going to look at four guardrails. Or uh, another term that I learned back in April, I was with a small gathering of pastors in Charleston, South Carolina, and... John Maxwell, leadership expert, came in to share with us, and he was asked the question, what do you think about leadership right now in 2022? Uh, what, what are you seeing? And he used this term, I'm leadership sad. I'm just sad. He said, coming out of the pandemic, I'm seeing a lot of leaders in business and organizations and business owners and pastors just, just not doing all that well. And he said, I've, I've met with a lot of players and pretenders. I I met with a lot of people that when the tough time came, they didn't have what was needed. So he just said, I'm sad. And he said, I, and I, I don't know what he was planning on talking about that night, but I think he switched to this talk because he was wanting to share with us pastors and then have us share with you what he calls success stabilizers. That like once you become successful, and this is just introduction. I know it's a little bit different than a normal introduction, but he wanted to say, what do you do when you've been successful and things come your way, right? When you're successful, some, some good things happen to you. How, do you. how do you balance all of that out? And so let me give you a few of them. He says, the stabilizer for money is generosity. Uh, somebody asked him, how much money are you worth? He goes, I'm not going to tell you that. I've sold 36 million books, though. Do the math. Uh, He's made money selling books. 
Okay? He said, and, and the goal is to understand it's not mine. Right? To understand I'm a steward of what God has given me. John Maxwell was a Wesleyan pastor for years and felt called by God out of the church to minister to business leaders. The church really gave him a hard time for that. I'm talking big C church. But John leads uh, about 200 people to the Lord every year. I mean, he, he says, I've led more people to Christ one-on-one outside of the church than I ever did inside of the church. And he says, so as I have found money and money's come my way, I just realized I got to give it away. And he's got this slogan that it's real sticky. When I heard it, I'm like, man, I'm going to do that. He's, his goal is to give his money away before he's dead. He's 75 years old. And his slogan is this, given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. And I thought, fantastic, I need that. Here's the stabilizer for ego, right? Successful people can begin to get a big head. Like, I've done something great. And every person in here needs a friend who helps you stay aware. And then he said this, and what does that friend need to remind you on a regular basis? It's something we all need to be reminded of. Every single person in here, every person in here, from me to you, we are all one step away from stupid. Do you have a friend in your life that reminds you of that on a regular basis? No matter how much you are doing in life and how well you've done, you're one step away from blowing the whole thing. He says you need to be aware. The stabilizer for the pedestal, so this is the opposite of ego, but pedestal is what people like to place successful people on, he said is serving. And you've heard this expression, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is way too far above you. So if you find yourself, somebody placing you on that pedestal, serve. The stabilizer for entitlement, the idea that things are owed me, is gratitude. I got to tell you about this huge blessing I got this week. This is like, I've never been so, so excited for things, something in my life. Thursday morning, I was in Boise, Idaho, in the airport, and I had to get back to our date night comedy. Was our date night comedy incredible with Mike Goodwin or what? Uh, we got to hear the snorters and the, we heard some laugh styles I didn't know existed, which... I, I've never heard a snort, that's, so I obviously ain't doing as good as Mike did. Uh, but so I'm standing, I'm on the phone at 6 a.m. I'm talking to Amy going, oh, we we're nervous about getting back in time. I said, flight's on time. There are no problems. I'm on the phone with Amy and I hear Theodore Cunningham, please approach the gate. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Okay, I'll call you right back. I walk up and this is right after I heard the announcement, the plane's full. She said, ah, oh, Mr. Cunningham, so sorry to tell you this. Your seat is broken. I went, ooh. I said, uh... I said, I'm really going to need a seat. Can I sit with the pilot? I'll do whatever. I got to get to my connection. I cannot miss. And she said, I hate to tell you this. I know you're in the front of the plane, but we got to put you in the back of the plane. I said, I don't care. I got to make my connection. Now watch this. She then calls this guy uh, who has been in the front of the plane too long. Uh, and because my seat was stuck in recline, which so what that means is instead of being here, it was here. So it was right for me. It was right to here. And so major threat to the airlines, that little recline right there. And so... The pilot, I, I, know, I know the rules and all that. So the guy behind me, he couldn't sit in his seat either because in case of an emergency, he wouldn't be able to get out. <laughs> so they call him up and they're like, sir, we're so sorry, but you can't sit there. We're going to put you in the back of the plane as well. And he's like, no, I want my seat. And he was, I'm just going to say it being a 
Let me clean this up for the 10 o'clock online service. He was being a jerk, all right? He was being a total butt to this lady. And there I go, I cleaned that up a little bit too. Uh, but he was not being nice. I'm like, bro, we got to get this. We all got to make our connections. Calm down, calm down. And I said, ma'am, you're doing great. Thank you. Just get me on the plane. I'm going to be thrilled. And, and he leaves and he's, we're in center seats of the back of the plane. So, and, 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 I'm, and she looks at me and she goes, sir, I'm going to take care of you. I'm like, yes. I don't know if that meant two bag of pretzels or what I was getting. <laughs> and uh, I get in my seat and I pull up my phone. And, and I had a travel credit from the airline for $1,000. And you have any idea how bad I wanted to look over at that guy and go, hey, did you get one of these? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going on my next couple trips for free. Let me tell you, entitlement, that idea that I'm owed something and that I need to be in the... Listen, that guy just lost a grant. Maybe they gave him something. I hope it wasn't as much as a grand. <laughs> Listen, we, we, how do you fight entitlement? Just gra be grateful. Like every day, thank you, Father, for what you've brought into my life. I receive it with thanksgiving. And then the last one is this. The stabilizer, he says, for image is authenticity. He says, young people ask me all the time, John's 75 years old now. He said, they ask me all the time, what do you do about branding? What do you think about branding? And everybody's into branding. And, and he's got this great line. He said, listen, he goes, before you worry about branding, get good at something first. He said, if you get good at something, you won't need branding. He says, if you're not good at anything, no amount of branding will help. He said, so, so know who you are, know what God has called you to do. And I thought, what... Whether you use the term guardrails or stabilizers, for every young person in here striving for success, for every uh, senior in here who has been successful, these are the stabilizers. These are the guardrails. Those are five that John gave, and these are the four we're going to see today in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The first one is compassion. What happens is someone rises to the top at work, and maybe you've seen this, uh, they can begin to lead by force. They can become powerful people. That's the term we're going to see today. Solomon, or Solomon's going to use the term oppressor. They can become oppressive, and they just lead with the iron fist. And when Je what did Jesus tell his disciples? Hey, we don't lead like them. We don't lord it over people, right? We are servant leaders. And so we have to find compassion, kindness, that gentleness when you've had some success in your life. Then contentment. Right? Contentment is what every successful person needs to not wear themselves out. And some of you in your business pursuits, in your job, you have worn yourself out. So you're going to get a stabilizer of the one handful of tranquility, the, the contentment. Also, you need companionship. What happens after you've had some success at work and you find yourself maybe in a leadership position? You've heard the expression, it's lonely at the top. You've heard that expression. You get to the top and you find yourself alone and lonely. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. You find yourself making decisions that people don't like. You find yourself making decisions that people, they don't understand. You find yourself making decisions that not everybody gets the whole story. But you're still called to do the right thing and maintain the position and be, be steadfast in it and you're not going to be friends with everyone. What is that? Uh, I've seen the meme. You're not going to be friends. You're not going to please everyone. You're not ice cream or pizza or whatever it is. 
But you do need companions. You need that person that'll tell you you're one step away from stupid, right? You need that person that will help you, encourage you, help you be more productive. We're going to see that in the text. And then this, this is the first time I really dove into it this week. I've read it before countless times in the scripture. But one of the stabilizers for success is succession. And some of you have worked for people who stayed too long. In the first service, that's a lot of senior adults in the first service, there was an audible, (laughs) right? If contentment keeps you from wearing yourself out, succession keeps you from wearing other people out. And we're going to see today the example of an old, senile, stubborn king. And I ain't going to be an old, senile, stubborn king or leader. We don't want that for any of us. To know that succession... Right? This is the cycle of life that we see that Solomon talks about in the grind of life. Whatever success you have, you're going to have to hand it over at some point. Why don't you make good decisions about it? So let's jump into this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this great chapter. I've been so encouraged this week by it. I hope you are as well as we read through it. Uh, Encouraged in wherever you are. Some of you are like, I've been unsuccessful in my last pursuit. And maybe you're timid over pursuing uh, that next Uh, opportunity that was given you or a job that was offered to you, I want to encourage you, think through the stabilizers we just looked at in the introduction and these four. We'll end with nine uh, today. And the first one is this, compassion. Compassion keeps us from becoming toxic and abusive. Two words being thrown around a lot in the church today. There's podcasts being made off of uh, church leaders, the Rise and Fall podcast, some of you've listened to, being toxic and abusive. Well, so what's the stabilizer so that we don't Lord it over people, compassion and kindness. So let's look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. So that's the word he's going to use for toxic and abusive, the oppressor, okay? I saw the tears of the oppressed, and now he's, remember, I don't know if you remember this language from chapter 2. He said, uh, I hated my life. I despaired of life. Uh, He's going to use similar hyperbole here to talk about how painful it is to serve under an oppressor or an oppressive leader. I saw that the tears of the oppressed, they have no comforter. No one's helping them. We're going to see a a stabilizer for that in just a moment. And then here's the term, power. Power was on the side of their oppressors. I'm not going to get into it too much, but I don't want to offend anybody, but we'll talk about politics for just a little bit. Uh, both, both parties want that right there. Let's just be honest. They want that. They want power so they can make decisions. They want to stay in power so they can rule and have their way. And Solomon is saying power oppresses people. It's oppressive. It was on the side of the oppressors. And these people that are oppressed, they have no comforters. Verse 2, and I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. So he's going to use that same dark lamenting type language to say, this is, it's so painful to serve under this much of a tyrant that it's better to not be alive. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 3, he uses Jeremiah type language. But better than both is the one who had never been born. Remember in Jeremiah chapter 20, all that had taken place in Jeremiah's life, he gets to the place where he says, I wish I had never been born. This is so bad. He said that's what those who have been oppressed by tyrants or by people 
who have been in powerful positions and, and try to rule with force, with power, not seeing the evil that is done under the sun. Verse 4, and I saw that all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy of another. Man, we can just keep going back to politics on this, right? But sometimes people succeed, and the motivation for their success or their pursuit of success or their striving for success is because of what somebody else has, and I want that. And we start to see everybody as a competitor, and we go after them, and and it drives us. He says, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You're going to put a lot of energy into this and at the end get to it and be like, that was not worth the toll it took on my soul. I I had lunch and dinner several times years ago with two people who ran the, 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 the thriving resorts of Branson at the time and one of them is still the most thriving and biggest and we sat down, they were the general managers of it and, and, and as couples, husband and wife, these two were, I mean, two couples were friends. The wives were best friends and the guys were best friends. It was, it was fun to watch. And I said, you guys, man, you're like the, the biggest resorts in town. How do you get along so well? And, and he goes, we don't, we never viewed each other as competition. He said, and the mistake a lot of people make in a town, especially like Branson is, we're all trying to get a piece of the pie. He said, we don't try to get a piece of the pie. We're all working together to try to make the pie bigger. So I'm not, I'm not living in envy toward another. And so compassion, kindness, for those that you lead. If you have success in your work or your business or whatever, bring others with you. The second stabilizer or uh, guardrail that we get is contentment, and it keeps us from wearing ourselves out. And let me tell you, what Solomon is teaching in Ecclesiastes 4 is not teaching you to be a mediocre employee or a mediocre person. He's just saying at some point, you have to answer the question, and you have to answer it for yourself. When is enough enough? When is enough enough? You've had some success, and another opportunity comes your way. Have you learned to say no for the sake of contentment? Verse 5, great text. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility. I mean, a great question for anyone in here today, leading at any level, running any business in your job to hold out one hand and go, is what is in my hand right now? And and, and the peace that I'm experiencing, what keeps me here and not necessarily needing to do this? I have a friend who is a very successful plumber, which when you're successful in any trade, what happens, right? You get work, you just don't know what to do with all the work that comes your way. So he bought another truck and hired another plumber. Had the same core values, they had the same work ethic, and guess what? The the work wouldn't stop pouring in, so he bought another truck, and he bought another truck, and he bought another truck, and he has a whole fleet of trucks, and you're like, was that too much? Well, he sold it for millions, so he did okay. Uh, But let me tell you, when he plumbed my house, he moved from another state. When he plumbed my house 15 years ago, he was one man back in one truck. And I just remember him saying, there is great joy in what I'm doing right now. I just remember the smile on his face versus him sitting in an office in the morning, sending people out. And again, nothing wrong with a lot of trucks. But he, for himself, decided this one handful with tranquility, whoo, I love it. You have to answer that for you. Don't allow your customers to answer this question, when is enough enough for you? Don't allow your employees to answer the question, when is enough enough? That's a question for you, because that's all on you. He says, then two handfuls with toil and this chasing after the wind. 
contentment. Number three, this is the next guardrail of it, companionship keeps those of you who've succeeded from getting to the top and being lonely. And we looked at this next text in Ecclesiastes 4 a couple months back about, you know, finding those companions, but let's look at it from another angle today of what it means to be that companion to someone in your life who is succeeding right now. Verse 7, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, so wasn't going to be able to give all this success to anyone. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? What am I doing? He asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Remember, we looked at this in chapter 2, to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in your labor. He goes, I'm I'm depriving myself of that. It's meaningless, and it's a a miserable business. Verse 9, two are better than one. And I want to be the type of friend and companion that helps someone have a good return for their labor. See, a good companion will make you more productive, right? You have plenty of people in your life that distract you from production, okay? But you need to find that person that comes alongside and gives you that good return. It keeps going. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. We all need to be that friend. When, they see a friend, when you see a friend struggling, as you go and you give them a hand and you go seek to help them. But pity anyone who falls and has no one. Companionship, so important. Verse 11. Also, if two lie down, they will keep warm. A good companion will comfort. Brings comfort uh, to your life. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Now, you know what happens when you maintain any success in your life or you become successful? You will have people that envy you. You will have people that come after you, people that will accuse you. And you know the only thing worse than the allegations of your enemies is the silence of your friends. And we live with that today, especially in cancel culture. When someone is attacked, friends and family back away. They don't want to be on that person's radar because they don't want the attacks coming toward them. Be the type of person that will stand up and take the attacks. Be the type of person that will help defend and stand there for your person and your friend. And then it says, you know what's better than two? (laughs) You know what's better than having one friend? Having two. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And here's what we get. I want to be this type of friend I want every single person in here striving for success, every person who's had some level of success to be that person who helps others succeed. And that's the the secret. This is not an Oprah thing. This is the Bible thing. Successful people help others succeed. Successful people, all right, help others be productive. Successful people defend others, comfort others, right? Walk alongside and help others up when they're hurting. I, a few years ago, Uh, was invited to the Christian Comedy Association. It was a blast of an event in Atlanta, and there were about 300 comedians. And I don't know, look him up later. There's a great uh, great comedian. His name's Nazareth. And he got up to do a talk in front of these 300 on uh, how to book more gigs. And you could just see the comedians in the room, man, take notes, man. I'm ready to build my business and build my, you know, schedule out. And I'm ready to go. And I'll never forget Nazareth getting up there. And you know what his first point was? He asked, all of his points were in questions. His first point was this. All right, we're going to book more gigs. Here's how it works. Number one, are you tithing? Crickets, much like I just experienced right there. Crickets. 
That's not what these comedians wanted to hear. And then I'll never forget, Nazareth, man, he was strong. There was nothing funny about his talk as a comedian. He said, how in the world do you expect God to bless you if you're not returning to him? How in the world do you expect God to bless your, your business as a comedian and your schedule and get you more gigs if you think you're the one doing it all? This ain't about you. I mean, he just, woo, and I'm like, this is awesome. He goes, number two. We're like, oh, people are like, all right, let's get something practical. Number two, when's the last time you prayed for a gig? Again, crickets. Nothing. He goes, you, you've, you've not asked your heavenly father once for this lead that you were given that it would turn into a gig? But then he said this, and I about stood up and gave him a standing ovation because I, know, I knew the pulse of the room. He said, when is the last time you worked to get another comedian a gig? Mm, ooh, look at the groans. Ooh. No, they don't do that. You know why? Because they envy the comedian who got the other gig. And they're trying to figure out how they can get that gig next year. But I know Nazareth's the type of guy, you know what he does? After he does an event and they're taking him back to the airport, and the people ask, hey, what should we do for next year? Instead of Nazareth, like a lot of people would do, sit there and go, bring me back. I got another set. Nazareth will give two to three names of other comedians they should bring in. Let me tell you something. If you want to be successful, do it God's way. And that's Nazareth understanding everything about my life and everything about my business and all of my success is determined by God Almighty, not me. So I'm going to help other people be successful. I'm going to give and be generous. And that's where some of you maybe who've, who've been striving for success, and I just described at the beginning all the people who've been very successful, but there's a lot of people in here, nothing you've ever touched has been successful. Every business you've ever started lasted a little bit and died. Every job, you're in one job after another, one job after another, one job after another. Why don't you try a new way? Stop chasing after the wind and stop striving for life and success without God because it's utterly meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Successful people will help others succeed. It's what I love about Branson. Have you ever been to a Branson show and you hear the entertainer get up and talk about other shows? Right? That, to me, is a confident, secure entertainer. And not just other shows in their building. Bring back your ticket, and we'll give you $7. Not just that. Just, a, hey, my buddy down the road. Hey, my buddy down the road. Listen, you want a successful restaurant? Don't just try to get a cut. Don't live in envy toward other people. Right? Tell them. Speak up the other restaurants in town. Tell them, hey, you should try out while you're here. Hey, why don't you go over there? Look, watch God bless your business. When you start helping others be successful in theirs. Mm. Okay, this is crickets. Okay, number four. <laughs> this is the first one, succession. Listen, if contentment keeps you from wearing yourself out, succession keeps you from wearing other people out. Succession keeps us from staying too long and wearing others out. I've, maybe you've never seen this before in the scripture. This, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. Better a poor but wise youth. So a young person who's about ready to take over, he's got wisdom because you want your leaders in your business or in ministry or in the church, right, to be wise. So you have to make sure that. But if, if they're young and they haven't been working very long, they're probably going to be poor. They're not going to have a lot of money. They haven't been able to build up anything. Their 401k has a whopping like $6,000 in it. Or you're, some of you are going, 401k. Uh, 
poor but wise youth, watch this, than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. When I read this, you know what my very first thought was? I refuse. I'm 48 years old. I'll be 49 in January. I refuse to become an old, senile, stubborn leader. And I'm hoping those of you in your 40s and 50s right now will make that decision. That's what leading with the end in mind is. Don't become an old, senile, stubborn leader. All of us in here have worked for someone who has stayed way too long. And it's, it wears people out. It wears people out. I'm not going to be the foolish king. No, I don't want that for you. And now he's going to go into the cycle. This is what succession is. You succeed in something, you're going to hand it to somebody. That person's not going to have it forever. They're going to hand it to somebody. And that's what he says, breaking it down in verse 14 through 16. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship. Here's another option. Or he may have been born in poverty within this kingdom. But he has wisdom, and he's going to be someone who takes over. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth. They followed the new guy, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. Meaning this is, a, this is the cycle of life. Okay, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. Oh, so even he's not going to make it forever. Even what he does isn't going to be making it forever. This too is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. Here's, here's a good lesson for all of us. As you advance in your work, bring others with you and prepare for your replacement. Prepare for your replacement. I was with a friend this week who's becoming the successor to another uh, pastor who's long-term pastor, and they've got this long plan in place. It's a beautiful plan. And it's like, well, how did that work? Well, the pastor decided that he wasn't the guy for the next vision of the church. He, and, he, and he said, what I want to do is find my successor and let him have vision. I love this. And then I want to become the number one champion in the church for that guy's vision. You know, 20 years ago at Woodland Hills, we, we wrote a statement of what we thought Woodland Hills would look like, vision statement, 20 years later. And it's been 20 years later. And, and we wrote down 20 years ago, we see God doing something great in Branson that will probably be a church around 2,000 people in a campus-type environment. And... And I can say that vision has taken place. And, and, and last week we had, I think, 2,200 people on campus. We're having some issues with um, parking. We're trying to figure that out. Anybody have any issues with parking coming in or going out? Uh, and we were trying to figure that out. And they're talking about adjusting the first and the last service time. We've had that conversation. I told and Amy this week, goes, we've got to do something. We have fender benders. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've had a fender bender in the... Uh, just don't turn it into our insurance, but we're glad you're here. Uh, <laughs> But I told Amy, I said, hey, listen, I have a sermon prepared that I guarantee will take us back to services at 9 and 11. Uh, if you just tell me when you want me to preach that. And I was saving it for 2024, but I'll release it early if you think, if you think that would help. Uh, but, but do you have a plan? Are you leading right now with the end in mind? I, again, I don't want to get controversial, but if I can end the, the message this morning talking about politics... There's something every person agrees on in politics. First service couldn't guess what it was. But this is something that unites Republicans and Democrats. It's an issue that unites Democrats and Republicans. Does anybody know what it is? Did you watch the first service? Did you just yell that out? You're the smartest person in the room right there, man. He just yelled it out. Term limits. Do you know, according 
to the last five national polls on the issue, 82% of Americans want term limits. 82%. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to check you on that because you want term limits because you're tired of all the chaos, corruption in government. However, you want your party to maintain power. Just let that sit in your soul for a second. 82% of Americans want term limits. This 18% right here, that's the politicians. Okay, this red right here. But we all know it. Talk about staying too long. Talk about getting to a place where I now run the committee. I'm now in charge. I've got the power and the authority. I can't give this up or country will go to hell in a handbasket. And that's both sides. And there's the crickets that Nazareth heard. <laughs> and that's why people want term limits. You know, underneath those polls, Americans believe it is the number one way to remove corruption from the government. It's the fastest way to go. Go serve. Don't go be entitled. Don't go rule with power and force. Serve the people. And it's never going to get fixed so long as, as the ones voting on it are the ones in power. You're like, what's your solution? I ain't got one. But I can tell you from my perspective, this is what I'm excited about. I'm going to show it to you right here. I'm preparing for this day. <laughs> I'm excited for this day. I'm leading with this day in mind. Because there's two ways that you can go out. And I've asked the Lord, oh, please let me go out with a sheet cake. <laughs> because you can go out like spoiled milk. Or you can go out with a sheet cake. I've chosen the sheet cake. I don't want to go out staying too long, overstaying my welcome. I don't want to go out where I'm just stubborn. I don't listen to anybody else or what they have to say or get any input or thoughts on that. Oh, I want the cheesecake. I mean, <laughs> the cheesecake. <laughs> See, that was in my heart. <laughs> I probably do want a cheesecake more than a sheet cake. <laughs> He's a chubby little preacher. I know he enjoys... Go back to that. I'm sorry, Kate. So, or, Kami, uh, you, 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 get to, you get to choose this. You, you get to choose. And I, and I would encourage you to begin making plans now. A guy came up to me after the first service, pretty emotional. I loved it. And he shared with me, and he said, I heard it long ago. Uh, if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. And successful people understand you can't hold it forever. So who are you preparing? Who's on your bench ready to take it over? I talked to a pastor this week, encouraged me, you, you need a hit-by-a-bus envelope in your office. I said, what? He said, you don't have to announce it to anybody, but if you know who the guy is, if you know who you would recommend right now to take your place and run with it, I want you to write down the plan on one piece of paper, fold it up, put it in an envelope, and, every, and hand it to your assistant and say, don't open this. You know, if, if, if I'm in the back of a plane because my seat wouldn't recline and uh, everybody on the back of the plane has gone, open that envelope. Because if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. And it's another plan of God that we would understand this part of life. You're not going to be doing it first. Somebody came up to me after the first service. Are you retiring? I've been here 20 years. And I, I'm telling you, I'd be a fool if I'm not thinking about this in the next five to ten years. 
I, I want that. Our whole staff, right? You and your job need to be thinking, who can take my place? And then you look at that person and you begin investing in that person as a, hey, are you ready to go? I, I tell you, that's what I love. And some of you right now are going, oh, who on the teaching team's the next guy? If we get news that Ted is dead, I know that'll bring joy to a few people in here, uh, but the rest of you, I want, please get me the, the cheesecake, all right? I, I want the cheesecake. But here's how John ended his talk, and I was so encouraged by it. He talked about stabilizers and keeping us all in check, and uh, we, got a, we got a tongue lashing from him. I mean, he was telling us, you guys, I'm leadership sad. I don't want you to end as a player or a pretender. And he said, the stabilizer for the many things that come my way is the one thing, and that is Jesus. If he's not at the center of all of this, guys, what we're doing is chasing after the wind. What we're doing is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Woodland Hills Family Church. And could we begin praying now, Father, who is? Who is the one with the vision in the years to come? Who is it? And who can we begin pouring into? And can that be true of every single person in here, wherever their work is and whatever their business is, thinking, who is it? And they go to work with a new mentality and a new thought. I say, this isn't all about me. The success, I, whatever success the, the, the man or woman in here has had, the young man, the young woman has had, that they would not take that as theirs, but they would offer it to you each day as a gift and seek from you wisdom on next steps and the plan, and put that plan in place. Father, you've heard this prayer from me I don't know how many times. I want to die in the seats of this church, but not as the senior pastor. I want to become a champion for whoever it is you call to this place in the years ahead. So give us wisdom and what that looks like. May everybody in here be chasing the cheesecake, not the wind chasing the sheet cake, not the wind, and not go out like spoiled milk. Give us these stabilizers and guardrails before us each and every day to keep us headed down that right path with you at the center. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would repent of their sins and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, is Lord that they would be saved. And we pray all this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen. amen.